John Lennon once sang, you can live a lie until you die. One thing you can't hide is when you're crippled inside. After exiting the internationally renowned folk group Great Big C and publicly admitting a secret past in which he used alcohol to mask the pain of sexual abuse by a priest, Sean McCann stopped lying to himself and found his truth in his own voice. With the release of his fifth solo album, There's a Place, he continues his journey as a singer, songwriter, and now a sought-after speaker and mental health advocate. So much more in that bio. You want to go to Sean McCann Sings. That's S-E-A-N. We just had Sean Pynchon, another S-E-N, S-E-A-N, performing on the show. Blues master extraordinaire. That boy can play. Yeah, it's the Sean, Sean Show. It's the Sean Show. McCann, uh, M-C-C-A-N-N Sings.com. Did we spell all that? Oh, we misspelled his name one place, and then we spelled it right another place. Yeah, we've been doing the show for 15 years. We've yeah. really got our act together. On the line all the way, uh, the way from the capital of Canada. Yeah. Uh, Sean McCann. What's going on? Hi, guys. Hi, guys. You just sounded like... You just sounded like uh, Napoleon. Napoleon Dynamite. I know, yeah. I was listening to... No wonder you have problems sleeping. If you work out the Celtic music, your heart is just going to be going too fast, Matt. That's exactly what's happening. (laughs) Exactly. You're going to give yourself a heart attack. I wouldn't advise it. I mean, I create this stuff, but I tell you, I don't work out to it. I want to live a long life. Better be careful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> could also lead to drinking in the gym. No, <laughs> no. That's why it's a protein that, drink. No, that's why they invented Contigos. You can't see what's in them. And ah. yeah, um, you know, after my time at the gym, Sean, I like to stop by Leo's Fish and Chips. Oh, you nailed it right on the head. Best fish and chips in Canada, right there. My favorite. Yeah. Don't waste your time going anywhere else in St. John's. Just go straight to Leo's. Or you're not getting paid in any way for that endorsement. No. <laughs> or, or you can stop by your mother's place, get a good meal, right? Some kind of yeah. salty meal at your mom's right. house. Yeah, there's uh, there's definitely great uh, food to be had in Newfoundland. Again, you need to drink lots of water just to make sure you don't seize up and rust. <laughs> you know? <laughs> can always happen. Speaking of seizing up and rusting, how's old Brown? Is that an 89 tac- Takamini? Uh, yeah, he's in my arms right now, actually. He's, uh, I don't know if you can hear him there. He uh, He's doing great, man. He's uh, We've been running around uh, doing the two boys who are in soccer, so we've been, we're have been we in between games, and I, I, I see this as a time to like chill and have a real adult conversation. And usually all Brown is there to make sure I, uh, I don't sound stupid. So he's right here. All right. All right. And, and, yeah. uh, and not to get too creepy in your world, but that's the point of an interview sometimes. How's your higher power, Andrea? She, she's doing great, man. She's uh, she keeps she loves me and she keeps me on the straight and narrow. Uh, I was actually uh, singing uh, "Hard Headed Woman" this morning. I don't know if you remember the Cat Stevens record yeah. for the Tiller Man. Yeah, I was listening to that record. I'd forgotten all about that song, and that came on, and I thought of her, and I sang it to her this morning a little bit. <laughs> every every good man needs one. Oh yeah, man, that yeah. T for the Tiller Man. I remember my sis. See, I was listening to Kiss. And all of a sudden, I discovered my my sister's album collection, and she had, uh, oh, she had America, Chicago, some Jimmy Buffett, Cat Stevens. And my world was changed, you know. Yeah, Cat had, had he had some great songs. He's uh, well, I guess he's on his own religious journey ever since. He's been Yusuf Islam now, and yep. uh, but I don't know, man. He just I don't know. What do you do after you write an album like Teeth of the Tiller Man? You know, yeah, you what's, become what's a Muslim. Firepower after that. Yeah, you become a Muslim. I guess yeah. Yeah, but he uh, he's a yeah he's a game changer. I always I forget these old records, and then I find myself sitting in front of the fireplace with Old Brown and 
plain old vinyl, and I stumbled upon them, and I literally stumbled upon that this morning. I'm like, <laughs> wow, how good was he? How good was he? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, yeah, so good that um, I don't want to talk about him anymore. Um, I, what I want to talk sure. about is your knowledge. You know things that I want to know, but I'm not sure if I can ask you about what you know just because I want to know them. So let me ask you about what you know, and, you, and then you can tell me what you know, and then I'll know. You ready? Sounds like a plan, I guess. Um, <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of no's there, but you, I'll, I'll try to say I'll try to keep it on the yes track. But as a as a professional Scotch connoisseur, um, should we even talk about this? Like, is this gonna is this gonna screw with your head? If we, I just want to know what what Scotch you landed on at the, near the end. You know, after trying bottles and bottles and bottles of Scotch, where did you land? Because I landed on. Um, on Redbreast, because it was a good bang for the buck. It was a good price point, and it was 15 years. It's a Jameson, but, you know, Jameson bottom end is bleh. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, your bottom feeding there. Honestly, I uh, I was a Lagavulin guy. I ended up there dark, smoky, and to the point. Um, went well with tobacco and weed, and uh, never, never failed. Uh, so I was... I, I started at Del Winnie, I think, and then moved on to the Lagavulin and was my go-to at the end of it all. Nice. Well, you know, as the nights got later, I guess I got less fussy. Lagavulin was gone. Less fussy. Pretty quickly. Next thing you know, it's Aqua Velva. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice. I'm uh, not proud, but uh, you know, those things actually. Uh, you know, you know, it gets your, your your standards drop and you make bad decisions, and that's why I don't drink Lagavulin anymore. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, so um, I'm I'm friends with a guy named Tal Backman who had that big hit "She's So High," and his dad is Randy yeah. Backman, and and uh, I, as the story goes, as I think I've got this down, I they used to be Mormons. Tal did the research, found out that they that he did he felt Mormonism wasn't true. Told his dad, and they've sort of they're not Mormons anymore. But one of the reasons the guess who broke up is because Randy wanted to be straight and narrow Mormon guy, and Burton didn't. Is that the same kind of story with you? You really needed to get straight and narrow and, and pull the plug on the booze and everything else that goes with it, and so you bailed on Great Big C? Uh, well, I needed I needed to go on the straight and narrow for to, to survive. Yeah. Right? I mean, I had to, that was, uh, I, I had uh, exhausted my options on that path, and uh, I drank to, uh, like many people, I had an addiction. People drink for a reason. People use drugs for reasons, yeah. in my experience, and I was sexually abused by my priest when I was 15, and, uh, you know, it set me on a path. And, uh, you know, trying to hide from that truth, uh, I didn't want to face that. I didn't want to tell anybody that. I was ashamed. I was angry and betrayed, and I just wanted to bury that secret as deep down inside as I could, and Lagavulin was a great friend to help me do that. And so it was great big C. I mean, we, you know, what, what better place to be when you're uh, addicted to alcohol then in the biggest party band in Canada with literally no limit to the amount you could access for free mm-hmm. at any time. You know, our rider was a bottle of whiskey or rum every day, uh, which, you know, you kind of alter day, alternate days, and then four bottles of wine, 48 beer every day. So, you know, for someone who was trying to keep pain at bay and not face the truth, you know, I uh, I picked a good place to land. And, you know, of course, when I stopped, which I needed to do to face the truth and move forward and, and survive ultimately uh, and recover, it became a tenuous place. I, it, was a, it was a very dangerous place. Just because I sobered up didn't mean the bus did. No. You know, I'm the one who changed. And uh, But, I, you know, my the last tour Great Big C did, the 20th anniversary tour, I was sober for 16 months 
in that world. I thought I was, I thought I could continue in that world, but I, I, uh, at the end of that time, I, I just felt it was unhealthy and unsafe for me to be there and left. And, uh, that's how it ended, you know, and there was other reasons. Once you sober up, you, uh, at least in my case, I started to uh, question things, you know, like I didn't like the way we were doing things. I didn't like the lack of what we were saying. And, um, you know, I changed a lot, I guess. I had a lot more to say. People don't know me from Great Big C because I didn't say much. I was behind the scenes guy. You know, I, I actually managed the band for the first couple or three years until we got through our record deal and uh, was known as the grinder. But uh, I was happy enough to sit back there and sip my scotch and let let Doyle do do the talking, and we didn't have to say much, you know, just ride the wave, keep it simple. And uh, but I had a lot more to say after I sobered up. I think the breakdown was Alan would sing twelve songs a night, and I would sing eight or nine. But uh, but I would uh, I was I didn't really. uh, He wanted the attention very badly, and and was good at that. That's what front men do, and I was happy enough to. Yeah. Steer from the back of the steer from the from the rear, and that's fine. You know, he did his job. He's good at his job. I'll give him that. He's not a lazy fella. No. He wants the attention, and that's what front men do. Uh, I, my only regret with Great Big C is that we could have said a lot more and done a lot more yeah. if, uh, if we were focused on other things that well, were more important. But Sean, did the booze ever actually um, screw up the chemistry of Great Big C? No, everyone liked me pretty good when I was drunk, I think. And uh, I was easier to deal with in many ways. Like, I didn't have strong opinions that I was willing to argue for or uh, stand up for. Right. Uh, There's a great Jeremy Fisher song called If You Don't Stand For Something, You'll Fall For Anything. Yeah. This came to mind. But, uh, yeah, I became fairly malleable as a drunk, you know. Um, Go with the flow. Don't interrupt the flow of money. That was the main focus of the band. Like, there was money. We could make money. Because if you're selling alcohol, like there's there's no shortage of partners willing to join you, right? And that was the secret uh, to our success in some ways, sure. many ways. Um, so, yeah, it was. Um, but no, I was. Uh, you know, the problems between the band, my relationship with the band became more tenuous as I when I sobered up, literally. Really. Uh, when I started, when I started to wake up, and decide, no, I wanna, I wanna live my life differently. I'm going to do this now. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> this it's a, was, this it, is the opposite of what we've been doing. It's amazing how intentionality irritates people. Yeah, I think so. And again, there was an established code of behavior. We we had a very simplified format that worked. And then I started to want to include. I want to talk about mental health. I want to. I'm in recovery. I want to talk about that. These were not topics that Great Big C were going to make money doing. No. Uh, the general consensus was right. So I ended up, uh, you know, but this is where I was going. And I, for the, the first time in my life, I felt like I was being true as an artist and as a human being to myself. Like, I'm like, I'll let the chips fall where they will. I walked away from a lot of money. Hmm. And, uh, you know, one of the lessons I learned here was that, you know, money is not, if you're, if you're making decisions only for money, you're going to make a lot of bad decisions. And I did, in retrospect. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to knock the band. I think I learned a lot there, uh, you know, uh, Everything happens for a reason, that kind of cliched line. But, you know, if you don't evolve, like, you don't evolve. And I did. And I'm lucky to be here, too. Like, I could have, things could have gone drastically wrong if I'd stayed where I was, stuck. And yeah. I'm not stuck anymore. All right. So listen, Sean, is, I, I have three consecutive questions, and these are the three consecutive questions. Is alcoholism a disease? And if it is, is it genetic? And if it's genetic, are you scared for your boys? Uh, I don't know. Answer to A, I don't know. I know there's theories, pot, pot, people say it is and it isn't. I can tell you there's a history of it in my family. 
it exists, but I, from what I learned, it, it exists in every family. So, I mean, I think it's a broad scope. I don't think anyone's hardwired proved that. That's a disease in a genetic sense. What I do know from a personal experience is that people drink for reasons, and it's trauma-based. Yeah. You know, if something bad happens, then this is, this is a go-to way. To, this is how people self-medicate. I know that. And my concern for my kids, uh, when I first came out and told the truth, I had one journalist literally ask me, are you, are you, are you worried your kids are going to find out what happened to you? Like that you were abused and that you were a, an alcoholic? Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm, <laughs> you missed the point. I want them to know. I'm open because I want them to know. I want them to know that a secret can kill you. I don't want them ever to be burdened with a secret that I had in my heart and soul. I want them to know. So they're out in the open. So I think as a parent, I've done the right thing and that they'll have a better chance of not getting stuck the way I did. Right. So uh, I think that does that cover all three questions or just two? Yeah, no, that'll work. That'll do. (laughs) All right. That'll do the way forward. You know, the hardest thing, the hardest thing I've ever had to do was was face the truth. Well, here's a line. Here's a great line from you. Uh, I don't know if it's yours, but it came out of your yap. So I'm giving it to you. It's all about doing the work and you got to wake up before you can go to work. Yeah, that's probably, that sounds like me. You gotta, and you know, you have to, you have to do the work. What I, I guess ultimately what me sobering up meant was facing the truth, right? Because it was, everything was fine. I didn't feel the pain of what happened to me. I successfully buried that trauma as long as I could with booze until I couldn't, until the situation became untenable and, and lethal. And then I finally sobered up. And then, you know, what happened? First thing that happened, I lost all my friends because they were all big partiers. Lost my dad, in a sense. And, uh, well, you know what? The hardest thing was, after about three months, I started to have nightmares about what that priest did. And I didn't have the booze. Wow. To kill the pain. I didn't have the booze. And I remember, I mean, I've been given an ultimatum by my higher power. Like, the reason I stopped is because I was told to stop. And under no uncertain terms, if I started again, uh, they were gone. You know, my fam- I'd lose my family. So that's a great motivation. Yep. Tough love, but I was grateful for it. But the result was I had to feel the pain. I had to face the truth without booze. And that was the test. And what I learned was I could. I was stronger than I thought I was, you know. And I found a way to cope. And it was a familiar way for me, really. I'd spent 20 years writing pop songs about drinking, literally. And But Old Brown was still there. And I remember one day, man, I was in my kitchen. I literally bought a bottle of Lagavulin, and laid it on the counter, knew what the consequences were. I was at my wit's end i was desperate and uh, i really wanted to drink that i stared at that bottle for over an hour and out of the corner of my eye in the corner of the room old brown was hung on the wall on one of those clips and i uh, i went over and i picked him up instead and i sat down and i wrote a song and that's what saved me can i just say this one of the saddest things about your story is that your final drink was a glass of white wine I know. It was some kind of Pinot Grigio. Jeez, man. That is just a shocker. <laughs> just change those details. Nobody needs to know the truth. Change that. Yeah, I know. There's no, there was no, it's not the coolest story, is it? But it's, it's actually true. And I wish, I, I have regrets about that, but it's too late now. Yeah, I, yeah. Can't, I can't fix it. No, no. Yeah, no. So hold on. Don't mis- mishear me. I'm not saying go back and change it. So November 9th, 2011, not that long ago, right? In the ultimate scheme of things, not that long ago. Um, no. And of course, I don't know. Like, I want to ask this question, but it's such a jerk question, right? It's the whole, 
Really? You never had just a little drink? You know, you never did. And and what about the addictive personality? Well, I guess that's still there. So what else, What did you fill your addiction with? What other did, did it? Was it chocolate now? Are you like, you know, going to go about 280 pounds next year? Like what? what's happened in well, your world? How do you fill that void, that gap? And, and, and what about sneaking, sneaking stuff? Can you ever like... And by the way, you're now the spokesperson for all this, you know, addiction, mental health stuff. And see, what happens if you blow it, man? Then all of a sudden your platform's gone. And you got so much pressure and weirdness on your... You have this bizarre spotlight on your on your journey right now. I don't, well, think, the, I don't think there was a question now, there. For the first time, you focused all this pressure. I, had, I was kind of blissfully ignorant of that. <laughs> 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 now, now I'm... Now I'm really anxious. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's time to get a drink. Um, no, I, uh, in answer, I have never, I've never had a drink since. I quit smoking the same day, by the way, because I, I used to smoke a lot of cigarettes and weed and stuff. I haven't done any. I haven't used anything like that, you know, at all since. And I went cold turkey, and I don't rec- actually don't recommend it for everybody because it was really difficult. Yeah. But I've always been kind of once I'm in, I'm, in, I'm all in or all out. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've always kind of been that way, so. It was my personality, but I haven't slipped. I really haven't. I, and uh, but even if I that's what feel... I'm saying, even if you had slipped, you can't tell anyone, man, because you're Sean freaking McCann. The alcohol, what, Tim? You're shaking your no, head over there. That's the whole point of mental illness and addiction is is to know that you can get back up. Ooh, well said. You might just hit it and quit right there. That was the smartest thing you have ever said in ten years of hanging out in this show. Thanks, Drew. That was pretty good, man. Everyone can get back up. You just you just don't give up, you know. And uh, I mean, I do have issues with cake. I haven't I, I have an addictive personality. I'm high. I was a high functioning alcoholic. I always had a ton of energy. I'd get loaded in the night, wherever the bus would be parked in the next morning. Chicago, New York, Philly, wherever it was, Vancouver. I'd get up and run ten miles. It was almost like Catholic guilt, trying to punish myself. <laughs> Hung over as a dog. You know, and I still run. I still work out. And but I mean, the cake the cake quotient has gone through the roof. I just made a bet with my kids. It's almost like uh, it's Lent in, in Catholic world yeah. now. I didn't realize till after the bet, but uh, you know, every Christmas things get a bit out of hand with the cake. And uh, don't you, know, you know, don't eat? Tell me you don't eat that Christmas pound cake nonsense with the petrified fruit and just that garbage. Do you? No, I'm pretty snobby. Like you know, I go for the high end stuff, man. I don't. I go spend money on. <laughs> We've talked scotch. Let's talk high end. Yeah, cake so here. like Vashon cake. <laughs> you no, know, nothing in a bag. No, no, all homemade stuff. I mean, there's always every town's got their place, man. And yeah, all yeah. the all the sugar junkies know where to go to get the best icing. And I certainly know that. I know that in almost every Canadian city, actually. Oh man. And uh, you know, it's definitely uh, you know you you kind of you, you say you you deserve it because you don't drink anymore. You don't use drugs anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you're entitled to a guilty pleasure. But, but yep. you know what? I, I'm 50 years old, and every Christmas it gets harder for me to lose the seven or eight pounds I inevitably put on. Yep. So this year we've got a bet. Um, actually, my wife, who still drinks occasionally, not, not she's never had an issue with it, but she's now off the wine for a month. If I, The bet is if I can stay off the, uh, the chocolate and the cake and all that stuff. So it's a friendly bet, and my kids are in on it this year, too, which is shown some real backbone. So, right. so, so, so far, we're on day three. And, right. <laughs> it's a bit early. And your kids, there's 100 and, bucks on the line. And your kids haven't had a drink in the last three days. They haven't drank a thing, no. They're no right good for them. <laughs> Only milk. <laughs> Okay, I want to. I want to get into. I want into. Yeah, I got to get into the God stuff here, man, because the the Catholic Church, the you know, I said where was I? I was on a show somewhere. Oh, I was on News Talk Ten Ten. I was on a roundtable discussion, and I said, 
the best thing for the Catholic Church, for the health of the Catholic Church, would be for it to go bankrupt. Because then it could yep. rebuild on what it should be built on. And and there's some correlation between that kind of brokenness and the brokenness the Catholic Church has caused over the years and turned a blind eye to and however kind of, you know, systemic, uh, the systemic illness that they, that has gone on. And, and you've become a part of this whole thing. So let me, let me ask you, if you turn the corner in Ottawa and you, you're walking down the street, you turn the corner and all of a sudden there's that priest, what happens in your, in your soul, in your spirit, in your brain? What, what happens at that moment for you? I guess I'd have some words for him, you know, and uh, they wouldn't all be friendly. You know, I, uh, I'm i not, uh, I have not forgiven him, and I've not forgiven the church. I've forgiven myself, you know, and I was angrier at myself. I gave myself the hardest time for letting that happen. I blamed myself, which wasn't fair. Why? Why'd you do uh, that? I don't know. I guess it's a victim mentality, you know, and uh, it was, uh, I certainly wasn't my fault. And, uh, but, you know, he... Uh, the problem with the church, man, is they have far too much power. And if you think about it, uh, they are a perfect place for pedophiles to be. A priest, there's no better gig than a pedophile. And you talk about forgiveness. I met my abuser in the confessional. My abuser had the power to forgive my sins. So you know what? That's not a. I don't. I don't know if there's enough therapists in the world, man, to, to, to speak to that issue or whatever. I mean, I, I believe music is medicine. I don't believe in organized religion anymore. I don't I don't believe in any form of indoctrination. My kids, if they want to seek religion, whatever works, I believe that. Whatever gets you through the day. Yep. That keeps you clean and sober and get, and keeps you awake so you can live your life. <clears throat> whatever uh whatever enables you to deal with your truth no matter what it is or how difficult, that's what matters. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're looking for, you know, I think we invent re- religions or convenient ways to explain things. Uh but, you know, they've, they, they have a history, all of them, not just the Catholic Church, of failing miserably to actually protect their own. Yep. And, and um, you know, but when you give someone that kind of power, the reason he had that power is because everyone was raised in the Church. And I was baptized. I wasn't given an option on what to believe or who to believe in. And my parents couldn't see beyond this, this dude, you know, this yeah. villain. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, I, I, I'm not letting anyone off the hook there. I don't know... Uh, but all I would say is I don't believe that anymore. I believe that I don't believe in, in organized religion, but I believe in I believe there's a spirituality to to life. Yeah. I believe life is a spiritual existence. We're we're far, we're made of more than blood and bones. We're made of music, you know, and that's spiritual. Yep, that's a spiritual thing, and that's why I believe in higher powers if there is one. But I don't believe it's a uh, a supreme being. You know, I think it it's, it falls to us. We can't just put our problems off on some supreme being who can tell us how to do it, what's right, what's wrong. That is wrong. That has failed us, ultimately, as a civilization. And to the, to the extent that it's caused severe harm to people and caused not just people, but, but whole nations and war. Like, there's nothing right with it. Okay, hold on. Sean, uh, you know, Sean let me ask you this. this here's the, um, this, the thing that people say all the time is, um, you know, when you don't forgive somebody, you're not, you know, it's the reason you don't forgive them is because you don't want to let them off the hook. But the only problem with that is the only person who's on the hook when you don't forgive somebody is yourself. Right. That's the blah, blah, blah behind it. Now, I've not gone through what you've gone through. If I turned the corner and that priest was there 
it's go time. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I'm not, I'm, I don't have any platitudes for you, but I know that smarter people than me, and there's a lot of them, have said that if you don't forgive somebody, it ends up screwing you. Do you believe that? Mm, I don't know, man. Again, uh, my abuser, literally, I met him in a confessional where uh, my sins were being cleared to, for me to be able to be to go to heaven. Like, it's far too many layers of of corruption and deceit to cut through. Yeah. And no, I, I, I think that you can accept, you know, I can accept that that, that that was an evil man who did evil things to me and caused much pain to me. And the best you can do is not not have go time. You know, would I would I react physically to him? I hope not. Would I end up in you know? But letting letting him letting my I think what I would do is let him know and know on certain terms like what this is what you did to me. You need to know this. And then if he begged for forgiveness, I don't know what I would do. You know, I don't know if I'm that big. I don't know if my heart could be that big. But I what I would do is probably try and avoid any kind of further communication with him and and just work on what works is like i'm not gonna when someone shows you who they are you should probably listen yeah 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 Yeah. and i don't think i don't think there's a cure for pedophilia so if i saw that guy or any you know priest walking around I'd, i'd be more concerned about my kids where are they right now yeah so okay is is father pedophilia in prison is he like what's going on with his world these days do you know do you care did you press charge like where, where are things at man uh last i heard he was been, he was moved around he's over in england somewhere uh hard to uh they keep moving him around yeah but do you do you not want to call whoever you know in the media in whatever area he is and rat the guy out and and get him i don't know yeah i've, I've made taken steps the problem with making legal charges stick are there, there, I've gone down this path, man. Believe me, I've talked to legal legal people. Yeah. I've talked to the church, and uh, you know what? I don't know if I I don't I don't think I can win, but I can, in a legal sense, in any kind of satisfactory way, for the amount of sacrifice and pain I'm going to have to go through. But I have alerted the police. Yes, and I they know they know my what my allegations are, and uh, you know what? As it turns out, I'm not the only one. So keep their eyes are on him, <laughs> but he's, he's yet to be in, incarcerated. He's been, uh, you know, pulled in a few times and stuff like that, but he's still a, he's still a priest. And you know what bothers me most about the, the, the Catholic Church is, even though they know, even though they know this is systemic, and they'll put out fires when compelled by law and lawsuits, mm-hmm. they will not talk about it. And they continue the same way. And I think the issue is at the core of their faith is that the Pope is infallible, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have, and, and so he's the one that has to make the move here. Because right now, a, a, a priest, it takes a lot to, 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 be, to take a priest out, because they're believed to be divine. So taking one out means, means their church has made a mistake, and the church does, and that's, that's, what the, that's the one thing they seem to have a problem with. They don't like to make mistakes because they have a reputation of being infallible guides for us spiritually. So being wrong is not an option for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we all know where that can lead. I mean, we're all wrong. Yeah. And uh, well, uh, here sees itself as above human, and that's that's not not a good that's not a good position to come at anyone from. Nope, not at all. 
Well, you know, one of the things that drives me nuts about Christianity in general is that um, one of the reasons they killed Jesus is because he said to hell with religion. And then after he died, after they killed him, his followers started a religion. Morons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I often wonder. There's, there's a guy I'd like to have a chat with but, uh, oh, yeah. at some point. Yeah. But he, uh, yeah, you know, um, like most religions, they start off whatever. I don't know. It's 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 just, I, I guess it's just our things that are built on hierarchies. To me, are often are often flawed, or yeah, or, or yeah well, that, and, at some point, and it's it's antithetical to actually what what the Jesus stuff is all about. I mean, Jesus went on and on and on about, oh, you want to be big, you want to be big, okay, be small, be small, don't hurt anybody, don't hurt anybody else. Core messages, same with Buddhism, Islam, yep, yep. like the simple messages uh, that that ring true, the cool cool shit to say, you know, <laughs> uh, as we say in songwriter world. Uh, that still all works and keeping yeah. it simple and stuff like that. It's when people get involved and create hierarchies based on power structures that it all goes out the window. Out the window. And, uh, you know, that's what I'm, and it starts with the best way to preserve hierarchies and power structures is to begin at birth yeah. with indoctrination. So I always like, this is the huge mistake. Allowing allowing a process of indoctrination any kind is, is just wrong. Like, let people figure it out. You, they grow up. One of the, here's another great. We'll finish on this, man. But another great line figures. You know, you're. I think your prolific songwriting days are are more ahead of you than they are behind you for sure. Because this, I I watched a few interviews and I heard you rattle on about stuff and you. Uh, you're spewing really awesome stuff these days. <laughs> best way to destroy a secret is to shine the light on it. And I've always said the best way to shatter a lie is with truth. And um, yeah. I, I honestly, honestly sign off on every thought that it matters, who, whatever. Like, no one gives a holy grunt about what I think. But I, you are doing such an important thing now. You are making up for lost years like crazy and good on you. Really, yeah, pr- man, well, re- re- really proud of what you're doing, Sean. Thanks, Drew. Likewise, I'm really glad I got on your, to meet you on your show here. I hope we meet him face to face someday. But I mean, I'm 50 years old, and I and I feel like I've 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 got some time to make up for. But I feel stronger than ever, and I know I'm stronger than I think I was anyway. And uh, I feel like I'm going to have a great second half. Like, yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah you're. For I'm sure. only begun to work. SeanMcCannSings.com, S-E-A-N-M-C-C-A-N-N, no, Sings.com. Did I spell all right? I don't know. Go to our website. You'll find it there. Sean, good to talk to you, dude. Take care. Nice talking to you, too, Jerry. Right, Take bye-bye. care, buddy. Bye. Uh, that was thoroughly enjoyable. <laughs>